Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Great job. If you have your Bibles, and hopefully you do, take them and turn with me to the book of Luke. Luke chapter number two. If you do not have your Bible with you this morning, there should be one. Uh, perhaps in the back of the seat in front of you, maybe in the back of the seat behind you. And we would encourage you to pick up that copy of God's Word. Turn with us to the book of Luke. And how you'll find your place there is across the top of the page. You're going to look for the word Luke. That's the book of the Bible that we are in. And so if you go to the New Testament, it'll be Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. So it's the third book in. And in this chapter, you'll find uh, perhaps the most... Uh, familiar reading of the Christmas story, Luke chapter number two, and with the Lord's help, we'll spend time here this morning, and then uh, again next week as well, uh, looking at the Christmas story in the book of Luke. We're going to go verse number one to verse number seven, okay, so how you find that is the small number one to small number seven, those small numbers we call verses, the big number we call a chapter. So Luke chapter 2, verse number 1, okay? You say, Pastor, why is it like that in the Bible? So we can all know where we're reading, that's why, all right? So we can follow along and we can read God's Word together. If you found your place, would you stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's Word? Luke chapter number 2, verse number 1, down to verse number 7. And like always, when you come to a very familiar passage of Scripture, there can be a tendency to disengage mentally. Because I already know what the pastor is going to say. I already know what the next verse reads like. So let me, let me encourage you to really pay attention with us and listen to God's Word. Verse number 1, Luke chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because... He was of the house and lineage of David to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the end. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would use your word in our hearts and lives. Father, I pray that you would teach us great and wonderful truths about this, the Christmas story. Not one of the Christmas stories. The Christmas story. We ask all these things according to the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And by his name we pray. And all the church said together... Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Last week, we spent time in Luke chapter number 1, and we talked about the angel's address 
to Mary. And how that Mary listened to the angel's announcement really with a sense of disbelief. And we really hung out at verse number 37 of Luke chapter number 1 where it reads, For with God nothing shall be impossible. And this wonderful truth, how that we serve the God of the impossible. We serve the God who can do what He wants, when He wants, how He wants, whenever He wants, because He's God. And man, sometimes that can be a humbly thing in our own hearts and lives. Because we like to think that we can do what we want, when we want, how we want, with whomever we want. And yet, oftentimes, God is working in our lives to teach us this great truth that He alone is God and we are not. And we spent time last week talking about Mary's response to this God of the impossible. Verse number 38. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Man, Mary's response to the greatness of who God is, the greatness that our God possesses, the awesomeness of our God, Mary's response to that was, God, you can do whatever you want to do in my heart and in my life. Remember, we ended last week. Is that our response to God? Is our response to God, be it unto me according to thy word. I'm just a servant. You're God. You can do whatever you would like in my life. And that would mean in my family. That would mean at my job. That would mean with my finances. That would mean with that certain relationship. And that would mean with, with this uh, career. That would mean with this college or, or educational pursuit. And that would mean with this boyfriend or girlfriend. God, you can do whatever you'd like to do in my life. And I'm okay with that because I just want to serve you. I just want to live for you. Mary's response was one that, that we could really learn from. But really from there, Mary has this, this, uh, this prayer of praise. It picks up in verse number 46. And Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. And then from there we have uh, Mary's magnification of God. Man, how she lifts up God. She praises God. If you want something that will really encourage your heart this week as we move toward Christmas on the middle of next week, man, read verse number 46 down to verse number 57, 58 in that area. It will really encourage your heart in Luke chapter number 1. From there, the story just moves forward. It's as if it's, if it's in uh, uh, fast forward. It speeds through. And it gets us to Luke chapter number 2. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. This taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. We see four ideas. I think you have an outline so you can follow along with us. hope you write some notes down. Maybe something that sticks out in your heart or mind that would be an encouragement to you. But we see four ideas in this passage. We see first, we see this petty tyrant. This petty tyrant. Look at verse number two, verse number one. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Look at verse number three. So all went to be taxed, 
everyone into his own city. So here in the telling of the Christmas story, in Luke chapter number 2, where that really fills up our Christmas narrative or the Christmas account, the Bible reads as not, not like a fictional myth, but as an historical fact. The Bible never presents the Christmas story like this. "'Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a... Now you know it already, don't you? The Bible never presents it that way. The Bible presents the Christmas story, the Christmas narrative, not as, not as a myth, not as a fable, not as a legend, but as an historical, verifiable fact that Jesus historically, contextually, verifiably came into this world that the life of the person named Jesus Christ is not one of myth or legend. It's not one of religious fable, but it is one where we can stand holy, surely, and actually on. Well, why? Why does the Bible present the Christmas story in this way? And it came to pass in those days. It's as if saying, this is the way that it really happened. These are the events that really took place. These were the powers that were really in play. And here's what they did and how God moved and used them. You say, Pastor, why is it important to point out that Christianity is built on a historical fact? For this reason. Because Christianity is not simply a set of principles that we subscribe to. Christianity is not simply a set of principles that we believe in. Christianity is not simply believing that if you forgive, then it's better for you. Or if you give, that that's better than getting. Christianity is not just that. Those things are certainly true. But Christianity is more than a set of principles. Christianity is built on the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is it important to point out that Christianity is not principles or, or, or myth or fable or legend? Because Christianity is built, it's central on the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we do not believe that Jesus came into this world to simply teach us something, but that Jesus came into this world to die for the sins of mankind, of which you and I are certainly sinners among all the rest. That Jesus came for you and that Jesus came for me. But in reading the Christmas story, have you ever wondered but why is it that Joseph takes Mary, his, his new bride, puts her on the back of a donkey, and then takes her 90 miles away from her hometown while she at any moment might deliver the Son of God into this world? But why would he do this? Why would he travel so far to a place where there are, are at least openly and candidly, according to the Scriptures, there's, there's, there's no accommodations for her there. There's no hotel or hospital waiting. There's no nurses by her bedside. This is just him, her, a, some sheep, some cows, a couple of wise men, a couple of shepherds, and that's it, right? This is the nativity scene that we all see. 
But why is it then that Joseph does this? Well, well scripturally speaking, go over to the book of Micah, chapter number uh, 5, verse number 2. Micah, chapter 5, verse number 2. In Micah 5, 2, here's what it reads. But thou, Bethlehem, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee he shall come forth unto me, that is to be a ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been of old from everlasting. Man, so years before Christ showed up, hundreds of years before Christ made his appearance into this world, God made a promise to Israel, specifically to Bethlehem, that from Bethlehem, that in Bethlehem, that from the children of Bethlehem, there would come this eternal king, this Messiah. So why is it that Joseph takes Mary, puts her on the back of a donkey, and makes a 90-mile dangerous trek to Bethlehem? Was simply put, because God had spoke through his prophet that this is the way in which God would be born into the world. That God coming into the world would come into the world at this place in particular, in this city specifically, that God would bring the Son of God into the world in this way. And yet, but it's more than that. It's more than that. It's not just God had made a promise and now God is hoping that Joseph makes it to Bethlehem. And God does not call a holy huddle and get in there with the Trinity and go, okay, we made a promise hundreds of years before. Now, how are we going to get Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem? No, this is not the way that our God works. No, God works in and in spite of those powers that be. And God works through this man by the name of Caesar Augustus. Nine years before the birth of Christ, a man by the name of Herod was in power. And Herod, being a very prideful person, decided that he wanted to show his independence to a greater tyrant than he by the name of Augustus. So Herod offends Augustus, and Augustus, in retaliation to Herod, informs Herod that he is no longer his friend, but he is now his enemy. And so he tells Herod that all of those in Herod's rule and jurisdiction must report to their hometown in order to be counted for this census so that they can know how many people there are in this part of the world so that they can then tax them. So Herod offends Augustus, Augustus then responds to Herod and says, nine years from now, there will be a census over all of the earth, and I want to know how many exact citizens you have so I can know how I can tax you. And so we read verse number one then. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. This taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. So nine years earlier, and all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. So in order to accomplish the census, in order to accomplish the taxing, every person was required, mandated to return back to their hometown. Joseph and Mary, being of the city of Bethlehem, look at verse number 4, Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, 
which is called Bethlehem, same city Bethlehem, that's found in Micah chapter 5, verse number 2, went, went into his own city to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. All of this happens. Why? Why does Joseph put Mary on the back of a donkey, take a 90-mile trek that's long and, and tedious and dangerous when Mary is about to deliver a baby, specifically the Son of God, into the world? Why? Because God was at work. That's why. So you see, number one, a petty tyrant. You see, number two, a providential God. And here's what we ought to marvel at at the Christmas story. That God uses these petty men in order to accomplish His own purposes. That God uses these governmental authorities in order to accomplish His own purposes. That God uses congressional disputes in order to accomplish His own purposes purposes that God uses men both good and bad in order to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in the world that that is a wonderful truth Galatians chapter 4 teaches us a wonderful truth man that in the fullness when the fullness of time had come that God sent forth his son into the world what does this mean the fullness of time that when it was exactly the way that God intended it to be, when it was exactly how God orchestrated it to be, He sent His Son into the world. So here is why this is encouraging. This is what ought to put a smile on your face this morning. Because we have a tendency to think that we are an insignificant drop in the bucket on the world scale. You know the people that really matter? Those aren't the people who live in our house. Those are the people who live in the White House, right? You know the people that really matter? There are people like me and you. There are people like, like presidents and, and world leaders and dictators and emperors and kings and queens. Those are the people that everyone follows around. Those are the stories we all want to hear. Those are the people that they clamor to take pictures of, right? But these are the people that really matter. And yet here in the Christmas story, we see a way in which God works. We see God's economy working in this way. That God uses these men and these women, both good and bad, in order to accomplish His own purposes. Watch this. No one in the world gets to decide if they will glorify God. Everyone will glorify God. And you can either glorify God by glad submission to Him, the way in which Mary submits to the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word, or you glorify God by rebelling against Him and thereby proving God to be just and right and holy in His judgment on the entire world. That is the weightiness behind this. That even right now, whether you desire it to be so or not, 
your life, your life choices, your life actions, your life behaviors, your life attitude is glorifying God in some way. See, Augustus thinks he is the center of the universe. And I can call the shots, and I can do what I want. And what God is showing us is, Augustus, you are not the center of the universe. The center of the universe is me. Augustus thinks, I am glorifying myself by taxing everyone so I can be rich. And God says, Augustus, you are glorifying me by fulfilling the prophecy that I gave hundreds of years before you ever showed up onto the scene. We serve a God who is bigger, who is greater, who is more splendid, more spectacular than any of these men. We serve a God who providentially rules and reigns over the hearts of all men, all places, and all times. It is to say that with God there are no significant people and there are are no insignificant people. That with God, there are no really important people and, and then no, the, the lesser important people. No, with God, all are the same. And from their lives, God is gaining for Himself glory and praise that is rightly due His own name. Even at this very moment right now, you are glorifying God. You are either glorifying God in your glad submission to Him, where you are saying, God, get the praise from my life, get the glory from my life, get the weight, get the, uh, the credit, get it all from me, and my life is yours to control. Or you're getting glory to God by even sitting here going, well, I don't believe that to be true. Thus, glorifying God's righteousness, holiness, and perfect justice of which he rules over all of the earth. It is a way to say that even in your rebellion, God gets the glory. Even in your praise, God gets the glory. Whether you run to or whether you run away from, God is getting the glory over your heart and your life right at this very moment. Whether you think you're Augustus or whether you think you're Joseph, you are giving the glory and God is getting the glory from your own heart and life. Man, a petty tyrant, a providential God. Third one. These poor parents. Look at verse number 4 and 5. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. And he went there, why, verse 5, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. So who are the mom and dad of the Son of God? But Joseph is stepdad, verse number four. Mary is mother, verse number five. And here, here's, why, here's, why, here's why we should point this out. Because if, if we were writing the script for how God would come into the world, if I gave you a blank piece of paper this morning and said, write the story, the way that God would come into the world, 
Let me tell you who you would not choose. You would not choose Mary and Joseph. You would not pick these two. Well, why? Because Joseph is a broke carpenter from a ghetto little town that has been invaded over and over and over again by the Roman authorities. And because Mary is no older than maybe a 15 or 16-year-old girl, most Bible commentators say, and she's basically the servant in the house. This is basically her job. So you have a carpenter and a maid. And yet out of this poverty... Out of these two individuals, you see God declaring this message. You see God declaring this news that God is the one in control and that God uses whomsoever He will. Joseph and Mary are not people of position. They're not people of clout. They're not people of dignity. They're not even really people of success. You see, well, how do you, how do you even know this, Pastor? Well, in their day, in Bible day, they lived in what we would understand as a very high honor culture. We do not live in a high honor culture. They lived in a very high honor culture. You give honor to whom honor is due. How many ever read that verse in the Bible before, right? They lived in a very high honor culture. You, you understood your place. You understood, the, you understood the significance of your place inside of your family lineage. You understood the importance of your place in helping to continue your family lineage. It was very high honor culture. This is something that we have lost in the last 20 years or so. You remember growing up when your mom and dad would make you say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. How many of you had parents who made you say that, right? You don't hear that anymore today. You, you remember, in my, when I remember growing up, my dad was death on this. I don't know if it was the Marine inside of him. I don't know what it was, but he was death on this. I had to address everyone by their proper title and then their last name. So, Mr. Johnson, right? Or Mr. whatever it was, right? I had to address him. It was never like... Yo, Bill, what's up? How many of you grew up in a family like that, right? Even if they told me, listen, Dave, you don't have to call me Mr. You can just call me by my first name. Even then, if my mom or dad ever heard me call them by their first name, death. Immediate death, right? Is it not the culture we live in today, right? People are, it's not, hey, pastor or, or, or Mr. Delaney. It's not, it's like, yo, Dave, what's up? <laughs> yo, Pastor D, what's happening? <laughs> Occasionally, hey, Davey. Right? Oh, no, 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 no. No, you ain't calling me Dave. I'm going to punch you in your throat if you call me Davey, right? But we live in a low honor culture. We live in a, this is the way in which our world operates. They live in a very high honor culture. Right? They live in a very, which is to say that if Mary and Joseph had any semblance of clout, if they had any semblance of honor, 
If they had any position whatsoever in their families, they would have been welcomed in from a distant cousin or a family member or used to live or a friend that I went to high school with or grandma or grandpa who still live in the city that I grew up in. They go into town and no one welcomes them in. They were completely outcast. No room. No position. No clout. Mary and Joseph, if they even have just an inkling of respect or upward mobility, someone in their clan would have been opening the door saying, you can sleep right here on the couch next to Grandma, right? And yet they are sent to the barn. My 10-year-old son absolutely loves animals, loves every kind of animal, studies them, reads them. He's infatuated with them. And I, I love that. I love that about the 10-year-old mind. He just, he's just wants to know all that he possibly can about animals. But this is what we've learned about animals. There are no nice barn animals. There are no clean barn animals. You've never walked into the barn and went, smells great in here exactly where I want to bring my firstborn son into the world at. And we've found all kinds of ways to make that neat and nice, haven't we? We write it in the Christmas songs, the cattle are lowing the baby awake. You know what a lowing is? You ever heard a cattle low? No, you've heard a cattle move. That's what a cattle does. But it isn't it isn't as poetic if you say, the cattle are mooing, and the sheep are, and the baby Jesus is born into the world. It's so picturesque. No, that's not happening there. So you've got to get rid of the mooing and the batting, and you've got to add lowing. Oh, yeah, lowing. That's so cute. I just, that's really tear up tear right there, right? No, they, it, no clout, no respectability, no honor. These poor parents, hear me, listen. The creator of all things, the one who spoke the world into existence, enters into our world and is wrapped or swaddled in manger in, in barn clothes and then laid in a manger, which is a trough. That is what he's laid in. This is what he's brought into the world as. So there's something going on with Mary and Joseph and Jesus and the barn. But listen, not Mary and Joseph in the palace. Not Mary and Joseph in the inn, in the Hampton Suites. Not Mary and Joseph in the place of significance. This is teaching us the way in which God works. That God uses the foolishness of this world to confound the wise. That's the way it works. And that God uses all things for His own purposes, in His own way, in His own time. And God uses all things for His own purposes, His own way, and in His own time. Even this petty tyrant 
who causes Mary and Joseph this great trouble. And don't you love this about Mary and Joseph? You don't find anywhere in the pages of Scripture where they're complaining, where they're bitter, where they're grumbling. You don't find any place that people, why do we got to go to be taxed? thinking government, they can't run anything right. You don't read any of this in the Scripture. They're responding to a great and good God who is entering their world and acting on their behalf. And hear me, that changes everything for Mary and Joseph. I grumble when I have to sit in traffic, much less if I had to sleep in a barn. And here is God at work. God is working, moving, accomplishing His own purposes, fulfilling His own promises. Look here, look here. Is it, Pastor, why are you making a point on this? We got it. Let's move on to number four. Why making a point on this? Here's why. Because you will need that in your day of trouble. Because you will need that in your day of trouble. And God uses it all, works it all, oversees it all for His own purposes, for His own glory, for praise of His own name. God works all things together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. God did not say that it was all good. God said He works it all for your good. Cancer wasn't good, but He'll work it for your good. If you, in glad submission to Him, say, you're God and I'm not, so I'll trust you. The divorce wasn't good, but God will work it for your good. If in glad submission to Him, you say, you're God and I'm not, and you resist that cold and bitter heart that thinks you can sit over the top of what God is doing in your life. Mary and Joseph are a great example in that way. How that they trust the Lord, they follow the Lord, they believe the Lord, that God keeps His promises, and that all that God is doing in our lives is for His own name's sake. And we have to be okay with that. Leads us to number four, last one, a very plain truth. You ever, you ever considered the simplicity of verse number six and verse number seven? If you were writing the story of how Jesus the Son of God was born into the world, wouldn't you have added more fanfare than this? Just read it. Verse 6. And so it was. Very plain, isn't it? And so it was. That while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. You read a verse like that and you're actually left with more questions than you had when you started reading the verse. But what else, what else happened? Was there a bright light? Was there trumpets? 
Is there angelic music? Did Joy to the World pop over the Christmas radio? What, what else? Who else? What, what, was the, what, was the, what was the feeling? What were the emotions? Was it, was it fear? Was it, was it trembling? Was it, was it joy? Was it heartbreak? Was it nervousness? Aren't you left with more questions than answers? And so it was that while they were there, she delivered Jesus into the world because nobody else had room for them. This is the way in which God enters our world. I believe it shows us the paradox. It's the paradox that the power is in the weakness found in Christ contrasted with the weakness of the power found in Caesar Augustus. Caesar who can command the entire known world and they respond by obeying the decree that he is written into law by returning to their own hometowns to be counted, registered, and taxed. I mean, for all intents and purposes, isn't Caesar the one with all the power? For all intents and purposes, isn't Caesar the one in charge? For all intents and purposes, isn't Caesar the one who's flexing his muscles in this passage of Scripture? No. No, he wasn't. No, no, God was flexing his muscles in spite of Caesar using Caesar to accomplish his own purposes for his own glory, in his own way, in his own time. And Mary and Joseph responding with a heart of faith to a good and great and loving and working God. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 9, For ye know of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. You, you hear that? You know the grace found in Jesus? That even though he had it all, oversaw it all, owned it all, created it all, he left it all and became poor so that we who are poor, who have nothing through faith in Him might be made rich in Him. This is the real Christmas story. Compare verse number 7 of Luke chapter 1. There's no room for them. To John chapter 14 and verse number 2, in my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you, but I go to prepare a place for you. For you who had no room for me, I have all the room of eternity for you. And Jesus took his place in a barn 
so that He could open the door of heaven for you and for me. He made Himself of no reputation. He took upon Him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, He humbled Himself. He became obedient to, to death, even the death of the cross for us. You say, Pastor, why would he do that? Because he loves you, that's why. John chapter 3, verse number 16, maybe the most famous verse in all of the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've never placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can never really know the meaning of Christmas. You can never really know the full meaning of Christmas. Have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can sit in good confidence that God does what He wills. He accomplishes His purposes, He keeps His promises, and He works all things for good in our lives, even those of us who feel so insignificant on the pages of history. God is working on our behalf. Is there not a greater thought this Christmas season than that? Well, brothers and sisters, let us in glad submission to that God serve, praise, give, and live for His honor and His glory in our lives. Be it unto me, Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. You're God, and I'm not. And I'm okay with that.